Well, if you have your Bibles, I hope you do, turn with me this morning to Psalm 101. Today we're uh, taking a little bit of a break from our study through the book of Hebrews, and we're looking, uh, we're really returning to our series in the Psalms, and we're looking at Psalm 101. If you're new every spring, we take time in the gospel to be an expert in Jesus, and we take time in the Psalms because we want to know how to worship God glad hearts and in spirit and in truth and the psalms really god's hymn book and so we want to be experts in jesus and experts at worshiping him let me pray for us and then we'll Father God, thank you for just the opportunity to have you you have communicated to us. And Lord, we thank you for your gospel, this good news that shows us the way to salvation, that shows us the way to live. Lord, I pray that uh, your spirit would fill this room today in, in such a way that he would do work that really only he can do, that he would give us eyes to see things that we couldn't see before, that he would give us faith where we lack trust in you, that he would convict us of sin where maybe we're justifying things, where he would uh, give us hope and encouragement where we're discouraged. Lord, send your spirit and do a good work. And Lord, to that end, I pray that I would not say anything out of step with your will or your word, but I would simply hide behind the cross. It's in Jesus' name we'll pray. Amen. Well, a lack of integrity infects every spirit. Early in seminary, uh, seminary is just where pastors go to, uh, to learn theology and these different things. They had a great professor at Dallas Seminary, and he was such a great professor, they called him Prof. Prof Hendricks told us that everything rises and falls on leadership, and, and certainly there's an aspect of leadership that is skill that he would talk about. But, but really, he taught us that leadership is about integrity. It's about, it's about who you are. Integrity of the leader is really the most important aspect of, of leadership. I thought that was a, a great word that it has rung true because as you uh, look at the state of the church today, there, there, there are so many uh, Christian leaders and, and pastors uh, who, are, who have not been marked by integrity. Some have been tempted with larger platforms and have had these kind of godlike complexes where, where they've uh, ended up destroying their churches. Some of them have just been uh, overcome with the burden of ministry that has led to really dark things like lust and, and then affairs and, others, and other uh, uh, instances of lack of integrity. Other pastors uh, have even used their spiritual authority to manipulate people, and some have even have abused their people. However, the lack of integrity hasn't just infected the church. It really infects everything else, including uh, the business realm. At, at the University of North Texas, my very first business class, I remember, the very first lecture, we walk in there, and the guy's lecture was really all about integrity. He said that at the end of the day, the success or failure of a business really goes back to the integrity of the, the business leaders and the, the employees, even at the lowest rung. He talked about how when you hire somebody, more than anything, look at their integrity. Who are they as people? You see businesses rise and fall on the honesty of CEOs and employees alike. 
But further unfaithfulness has destroyed families. Ambition for higher office has led people to shameful compromises. Idolizing a sports championship has ruined someone's integrity and their reputation for a lifetime. Lack of integrity is poison. So this is why we have Psalm 101. King David is going to call us to walk with integrity. Today, like I said, we're returning to the Psalms like we do every spring. And this Psalm is categorized as a kingly Psalm. It's written most likely by King David, and thus it's a kingly psalm. So this is the perspective of a king, and, and I think it's a perspective of how a king ought to be a king. He kind of gets to this most important attribute as he sees it of what a king should have, which is integrity. This psalm by King David, I think, is where he's looking out and feeling the burden of the brokenness of the world. He looks inside and outside and sees brokenness. Therefore, he resolves to walk with integrity. The solution, if you will, of the problem of brokenness is integrity. And what King David is going to do here, I think, is very profound, and I think it's courageous. What he does here is he doesn't just point the finger outwards. He, he doesn't just look at his kingdom and say, okay, well, if this guy had integrity, then this problem would be fixed. And if that guy had integrity, then that problem would be fixed. He first looks inside. He points the fingers at himself first. You see, he understands that if he can't walk with integrity, then he has no moral authority to call anyone else to walk with integrity. Therefore, Psalm 101 is a call by God to first walk with personal integrity and then second, walk with public integrity. Look with me at the first four verses in this call to walk with personal integrity. Verse 1 says, I will sing of steadfast love, uh, sing of your steadfast love and justice to you, O Lord. I will make music. I will ponder the way that is blameless. Oh, when will you come to me? I will walk with integrity of heart within my house. I will not set before my eyes anything that is worthless. I hate the work of those who fall away. It shall not cling to me. A perverse heart shall be far from me. I will know nothing of evil. This Hebrew term here for integrity is about being blameless, but it's also about wholeness. So it's, it's about uh, living without fault or, or living with purity. Something has integrity, it's true, it, it's not false, but it's also complete, it's, it's intact, it's, it's wholer as it should be. Therefore, it's referencing a, a good thing that something is intended to be. There, there's a functional aspect to it that, that this thing is good and it's supposed to be this way. And if it's not as it ought to be, then it lacks integrity. A great illustration of this is from the world of architecture where something can have structural integrity. So as engineers go through and, and they evaluate a bridge, what, what they're looking for is, okay, well, this, is this bridge functioning in the way it's supposed to function? Does it, have instructional, does it have structural integrity? Can the cars that are meant to pass over that bridge, over that river, will the bridge hold the weight of it? Is it, is it accomplished what it's intended to accomplish? There's a functional aspect to integrity. Integrity is all about how things ought to be. It's a, integrity is about someone being true to their ought, if you will. When someone possesses integrity, their yes is yes and their no is no, their private life is the same as their public life. Their, their being and doing what they ought to be and do is what integrity is all about. However, integrity doesn't just have a, a functional component to it. It has a moral component to it. That ought that thing that you ought to be, that's a good thing. That thing that God is calling you to be, that, that purposeful thing, 
It's to be done the right way. It's, it's a good thing. So if you think of a husband, a, a husband ought to be a good husband to his wife. But also that husband ought to be a good husband even to other people's wives and how he treats other women. That, that's connected to how uh, he is to be a good husband. He's a good husband also when no one else is around. Integrity is about being that good thing you're meant to be even when no one is watching. King David is resolved to walk with integrity. All this is this resolve to walk with integrity. It's a call to embrace integrity and live this way. And he understood that he couldn't uh, work for public integrity until he had worked for private integrity. He looked within first before he looked to the outside. And when he looked on the inside, he resolved to walk with integrity in five areas. Number one, the heart. Number two, the head. Number three, the home. And then number three, with his eyes. And then number five, with his desires. The first one is to walk with integrity in your heart. Look with me again at verse one. He says, I will sing of steadfast love and justice to you, O Lord. I will make music. Singing's all about the heart, right? When we worship God, it's about our heart. It's about the affections and the desires of our heart. So when the king evaluates his heart, he wants to know, is he singing to the Lord? You see, for him to have integrity, it means having a right heart towards the Lord. It means having the right affections, the right thoughts. It means having a happy heart for the Lord. That was connected to his integrity, and that's where he started, in fact. See, Psalm 101, it forces us to ask, are you worshiping the Lord or are you worshiping something else? You see, if you're loving something else first or you're worshiping something else is higher, then you lack integrity. Your integrity starts with, are you worshiping the Lord or are you worshiping something else? If you love something else more than the Lord, then you lack integrity. You're not as you should be. Something is off. Something is untrue. Something is structurally unsound. Something is not as it should be. But further notice, notice why he worships him. Like look, look at the content of the nature of the worship, the things that stirs his heart. He goes back to his steadfast love. He goes back to his steadfast love and his justice. This is an example of his heart is, is happy for the person and the work of Christ. He, he worships God for who he is and then what he does or how he lives. If you've been with us uh, the past few years and studied Psalms with us, you know that, that hesed is really the, the key idea of the book of Psalms. It's about God's steadfast love, that he has love for us that always remains through all the ups and downs, through all the successes and failures. God has a steadfast love for you based upon his covenant. And that's what David worships God for. He recognizes that, you know what, God loves me thick and thin. No matter what I do, God continues to love me. Who God is and what he does, his person and his work, that's why I worship him. The king understands that integrity begins by finding happiness in God's love and in God's justice. Is God good news for you? Like, do you have joy in the Lord? For you, his worship, is it duty or is it delight? Do you delight in the Lord? when you worship him? Or is this time when we come together on Sundays, is it just duty for you? Do you find joy in someone else's love more than your, more than your love for the Lord? Then you lack integrity in your heart is what David is saying here. If you find more hope in some politician or some political party to bring about justice versus God bringing about justice, there's a lack of integrity in your heart. And integrity begins in the heart. 
Well, it then moves to the head. Look at verse 2. I will ponder. I will ponder the way that is blameless. This king understood that integrity was about uh, winning the battle of Corinthians 10.5, Psalm uh, 101.2. We, we learned that we can control our thoughts. Like when those envious thoughts or those bitter thoughts pop into your mind, you, you don't have to give yourself over to that. Like you can battle in that moment. You, you, you can begin to think of something else. And listen, even if you feel trapped by that, I mean, do you think a, a bitter thought is more powerful than the Holy Spirit? I don't. And so you can ask God to help you. Most of my prayers are these, God, just help me. <laughs> I mean, that's what my prayer life looks like. When, when those things pop in your mind, that, that's a moment to battle. You, you, you can win the battle of the mind. Now, King David had some infamous examples of not walking in integrity, right? Like the most famous ones where he sins against God and Uriah and Bathsheba, where he's, he looks down and, and lusts upon her and then takes her as his own wife, kills her husband. I mean, King David is, is not this glorious example of integrity, right? But, but if you know that story, really the way that story kind of leads up is, is that he lost the battle of the mind before he sinned. If you remember the story, all of his men are out fighting in battle. And where's King David? He's lounging around at the, at the castle. He's, he, he's just laying around, sleeping late. He, he's being lazy, his lazy mind. He's not capturing his thought. He's pondering all sorts of wickedness. And then there's an opportunity to sin, and he does. He lost the battle of the mind, and that's what led him there. Are you pondering the way that is blameless? Or are you pondering the sinful way? Are you rolling around in your mind lustful, greedy thoughts? Or are you pondering pure and holy thoughts? And remember, you can control your mind. Are you taking every thought captive? Integrity begins by winning the battle of the mind. David then goes to the home. Look again at verse 2. Oh, when will you come to me? I will walk with integrity of heart within my house. Again, King David, uh, he didn't always walk with integrity in his house, right? However, here... He resolves to live this way. Integrity begins with these relationships in our home. Are, are you loving those people in your home the right way? Are you treating them the right way? I, I think this is helpful to always keep in front of us. But in, in the Bible's job descriptions for pastors and elders and deacons, it, it really goes to their character first and foremost. And it speaks to, are they a good husband and a good father? You see, you can be a bad husband and a bad father and be the CEO of Toyota or Exxon, but, but you can't be a bad husband and a, and a bad father and be an elder or a pastor at a church. That's how much God cares about this. He cares about how we treat our family. Are we loving our family in the right way? Are we treating them in the right way? No family is perfect, but you have integrity in your home life. Fourth, he moves uh, from uh, the home to the eyes. Look at verse 3. I will not set before my eyes anything that is worthless. I hate the work of those who fall away. It shall not cling to me. Integrity is about what you look at on your phone or on your tablet. Students, do you manipulate your phones to where your parents can't see what you're watching? Parents, do you manipulate what you're watching on Netflix or on Amazon to where your kids can't see what you're watching? Listen, if that's where you are, that, that's like a check engine light today. That, that's like a, a red flag saying, hey, there, there's some lack of integrity with your eyes. Integrity with your eyes includes not looking at things that are, are blatantly sinful. 
And of course, that leads us into a conversation about pornography. Do you know that we spend more money on pornography, every, we as an America? Uh, we, Americans spend more money on pornography than they do on the NBA. They spend more money on pornography than Netflix. I mean, we spend billions of dollars on pornography. And listen, there's a, there's a lie floating around that pornography is a victimless crime. Friends, many of those uh, girls in those videos, they're, they're forced to do that. Not all of them, of course. But also, you know, if, even if she's maybe not a victim, you're certainly a victim. If you're looking at those things, what that is, is, is that's just poison that's coming in through your eyes and going down into your heart. Pornography is so soul-killing. It, it just kills your soul. You're the victim in that moment. Can your wife and children validate that you have integrity with your eyes? Well, the fifth, fifth thing that as David looks within, he then talks about integrity with desires. Look again at verse 4. A perverse heart shall be far from me. I will know nothing of evil. Personal integrity is about desires. Do you desire what, desire what is pure or what is perverse? I think about this with daydreams. What do you daydream about when, when you have nothing else to think about? Do you daydream about expanding God's kingdom or your own kingdom? What, what do you daydream about? Do, do you desire what is good and righteous? Or, or do you desire what is wicked and fleshly in your heart of hearts? What do you want? Do you desire to reflect godly integrity? Years ago, there was a, a London newspaper that wanted to run a, a series of articles about what, what's wrong with the world. And so they sent out invitations to different uh, scientists and political leaders and theologians and, and academics. And, and they just asked this simple question, what's wrong with the world? Submit whatever you want. All these people sent in different things. And one of the invitations to write in that series uh, was a man named G.K. Chesterton. If you know who he is, you know he was a, a great theologian. He was a, one of the great writers of the day. He was very funny. Um, and he wrote short stories. And uh, he wrote a, a great, great theology. He wrote all sorts of different topics. So they asked G.K. Chesterton to write in this series. And when he mailed in his submission, the editors were excited to kind of open it up to see what he submitted. And they were you know, expecting a, a packet of papers of these profound insights. When they opened it up, it was really just one sheet of paper. And here's what he wrote. What is wrong with the world? I am sincerely G.K. Chesterton. It's pretty good, isn't it? That's what King David is getting at here. Your integrity starts from within. If you see brokenness in the world, friend, you're part of the problem. Are you going to be part of the solution, though? Are, are you going to look within and, and walk with integrity on the inside? What about you? Is God through Psalm 101 shining some light on some area of your life, maybe some area of your heart or your thought life that you've kind of just bracketed out and said, okay, I'll give God all of this, this 95% of me, but I'm going to hold on to this 5%. What I love about this psalm is that when um, we know that, that King David had these personal struggles with integrity, yet he still resolved in this psalm. I find that so encouraging because we can blow it. We can have these moments of a lack of integrity like King David did, but then we can always come back and resolve. Uh, we, can, we can resolve to walk with integrity. Again, he begins on the inside with the heart, the head, the home, the eyes, and the desires. What ways do you need to walk with personal integrity today? Well, now he leads us to this call to walk with public integrity starting in verse 5. Integrity doesn't stay just on the inside. It's not just a personal thing. It, it always spills out and affects those on the outside. 
I don't know about you, but as I think about integrity as personal or inside or public or outside, I find it easier to like self-reflect, capture my thoughts. Okay, I need to improve in this area or I need to go inside. But then how that helps me then relate to other people. And that, that, call, that calls me to be courageous in some areas that, that, I'm, that I'm kind of uncomfortable with. I, I find it way more difficult to have integrity on the outside, this public integrity. But, but King David couldn't live there. King David understood that every thought that he had, every desire he had every, affected everything that he did, and everything he did affected an entire kingdom of people. And listen, maybe you're not a king or a queen, but you understand the principle there, that your life your personal integrity, it doesn't just stay on the inside with you. The way you live your life, the, the thoughts that you think, the feelings that you feel, it affects other people. And it affects the ones you love the most. And so for King David, he understood that his integrity uh, bled out into his public life. Public integrity means that we're to battle evil. We're to reward righteousness. We're to distinguish from and distance from dishonesty. And fourth, we're to daily fight the good fight. Look at me at verse 5. Whoever slanders his neighbor secretly, I will destroy. Whoever has a haughty look and an arrogant heart, I will not endure. King David understood that his integrity extended to battling evil. You see, he was resolved to battle slanderers and those who were, were haughty. He was committed and resolved to stand up against lies and to push back on the proud. Friends, for some of this, this might be difficult, but a life of integrity calls us to stand up against those who are wrong in our culture and in our society. Every generation faces different evils, but, but, but are we going to have integrity and, and resolve uh, to battle against the evils in our day? Look at verse 6. I will look with favor on the faithful in the land. That they may dwell with me. He walks in the way that is shall minister to me. King David, this is maybe a more positive way of understanding this, but King David understood integrity is also including the rewarding the righteous. Not only was he to stand up against what was evil, but, but he was to support and to aid those who were living faithfully. He was to get behind those folks. Friends, uh, you can talk a good game, but, but are you also supporting good causes? Are you getting behind things uh, that, that God is doing in this world? Are you participating in that, supporting those things, aiding those things? Integrity means getting in the game and helping those who are doing good in our day. Are you investing only in your kingdom? Are you committed to uh, investing and spreading the kingdom of God? Look at the next verse, verse 7. No one who practices deceit shall dwell in my house. No one who utters lies shall continue before my eyes. King David understood that having integrity meant distinguishing himself and distancing himself from deceit and dishonesty. He was going to let it in his house, meaning he wasn't going to let it into his presence. He wasn't going to allow those things into his presence. He was resolved to not even allow it into his house. Dishonesty was not going to be part of his life and in his presence. He wasn't the guy who was, okay, just going to walk with integrity generally but then still just kind of flirt with deceit and dishonesty in, in, in allowing those things in his presence. What this is a call to is to uproot things like manipulation in your business. It's a call to you know, work for transparency in our church. It's a call to live with integrity, meaning you know, having those hard but needed conversations at home. Look at our final verse, verse 8. 
Morning by morning, I will destroy all the wicked in the land, cutting off all the evildoers from the city of the Lord. For King David, having integrity meant this daily fighting the good fight. He was to get up morning after morning, and he was to have this public integrity where he was to fight the good fight. Friends, I don't want to talk about uh, the evils of our world. Like if, if you corner me somewhere, it's going to be Dallas Cowboys, church history, fly fishing. Uh, it's going to be travel. It's going to be how's our church doing. Like that's where, that's where I want to go with my words and with my conversations. I, things I don't want to talk about. I don't want to talk about abortion. I don't want to talk about homosexuality. All those things are uncomfortable for me to talk about. Those things are very complex topics in many ways. Those things are just, those are just hard for me to talk about. I don't have a desire to have conversations about those things. But, but having public integrity means that we step into the hard and even complex topics of our day. Are we, are we ministering? Are we shining the light of the gospel in our day? Are, are we embracing these issues? Are, and using the image here that he talks about, are we, are we fighting the good fight while God is, has us in this generation? We're in this generation. I love the Puritans. But, but we're fighting different battles than the Puritans fought, okay? We're living in a different day. These are the issues that we deal with. As Christians, we're to live in this day. We're to fight the fight, the good fight in this day and deal with these issues. Psalm 101 for me this week, I'm, I'm going to put it in a category of, of grace. It was a gracious challenge to me. This, this was, passage was incredibly challenging to me. But it was gracious, meaning this was, this was God's gift to me. I, I was out of town all week, and I, w- I was at a, a preaching seminar, which would probably bore most of you to death. But... We would spend all day uh, going through these lectures, reading papers, evaluating sermons. My brain was fried at the end of the day. I would come home. I would watch a, a show on, on uh, my iPad you know, for about an hour just to kind of de- detox. And then I would go grab dinner. And then I would come back and, and sit in that hotel room and work on this sermon, work on those seminars. And then it dawned on me. Here I was wrestling with a passage for a sermon all about integrity and I was sitting alone in a hotel room. What, what, a, what a gracious challenge in that moment, right? Women, maybe, maybe you're not catching what I'm laying down, but men, you are. Alone in a hotel room? You can do all sorts of wicked things. Like, like you could probably get away with it. And listen, I, I took to heart this passage's call to, to be resolved to a life of integrity. God calls us to holiness, Listen, we cherish God's grace around here. But don't for a second think that that that's somehow divorced from this call to holiness. God calls us to walk with integrity. He calls us to look inside and resolve to love him and his ways, to capture our thoughts, to ponder what is good and what is right and pure and holy, and to distance ourselves from what is sinful and evil. By God's grace, he protected me this week from, from sinful desires, and he gave me this to challenge me in this area uh, to walk with integrity. However, it also just highlighted the importance of this topic and this passage, the importance of integrity. Friends, integrity is everything. Without integrity, what do you have? What do you do when no one is watching? What do you do when you're sitting alone in a hotel room? But like King David's life, 
Integrity is something different than perfection. No one's going to be perfect. So when you blow it, like everyone does, resolve again to, verse 2, to walk with integrity of heart. Resolve again based on the fact that you have confidence in the fact that God is with you and that God is for you. That's why David could resolve again. That's why an adulterer and a murderer could, could resolve again to walk with integrity. Because God was with him and God was for him in that resolution. Let, let, me, let me read for you Romans 6, 4-5. We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death. In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Friends, that's the gospel. If we believe in him, not believe in ourselves, we're united with him. Specifically, we're united in his death. What he accomplished in his death then has effects upon our lives. It was a payment for sin, therefore our sins are paid for. And we know it's true because then he rose victoriously over death. And we're united with him in his resurrection. And the purpose of being united with him in both his death and in his resurrection is what he says here in verse 4, that we can walk in newness of life. God is with us. He's empowering us to walk in newness of life. When he calls you to walk with integrity, he is there to help you. He is with you. He is for you with this walk of integrity in heart. Psalm 101 verse 2. So even when you trash your integrity, like King David did, the good news is that you can repent and believe by making a new resolution in the confidence that Jesus is with you and for you in that resolution. Isn't that good news? There's more good news in this passage. There's something else that's just kind of slipped in here. Friends, the, the reality of this world is that it's always going to be a fight, okay? You're going to be 95 years old if you make it that long, and this world is going to be a fight. There's still going to be things that you're going to have to capture your thought that you're going to want to say that you, you, you don't need to say. You're still going to be battling these things, okay? That, that's the nature of this life. So we need to understand that when he says, walk with integrity, here's what he's not saying. The good news of this passage is not that through our fight, through our, uh, through our fight to walk with integrity, that it's going to bring about perfection and it's going to bring about utopia. Like when he talks about personal integrity or public integrity, he's not saying, walk with integrity, you're going to get to perfection. That's the hope of this thing. And he's also not saying, okay, if you walk with personal, uh, personal integrity perfectly, then there's going to be like utopia in Israel for King David. America's going to be perfectly as it's going to be if you do this. That's not the good news of this passage. Amen? That's not the good news because that's a ridiculous idea, right? That could never happen. That, that's clearly not the good news. And I tell you, that's also not the good news because there's a burden to that. Like as you read that, when I was reading this, Psalm 101 just felt like a burden to me. And I think it did to King David as well. I think he felt great burden as the king of Israel. And, and here's why I think that. Look, look, look again at verse 2. He, just, he slipped something in really fast. He slipped something in that does not fit in Psalm 101, it seems like, at least from the literary flow of all of it. He slipped something into this song 
that just kind of seems offbeat, doesn't it? Look at verse 2. Oh, when will you come? I will resolve. I will do this. I will do that. I will stand up to evil. Do you feel the burden that he felt? Do you see the good news according to King David? The good news according to King David was not go be perfect. The good news to King David was not I can bring about utopia. We are not the good news. He is the good news. Amen? Do you see that in that phrase? When will you come? You've got me here for today. I'm going to fight the good fight for today. I'm going to walk faithfully today, but I'm not going to bring it about. I'm never going to be perfect. When will you come? When you come, that's when things will be whole. That's when all the bridges will work right. That's where all the people will work right. It's when he comes. He's the one that will bring it about. Our hope is in Christ returning, not in ourselves. Amen? Integrity's good, isn't it? Isn't it good? Like, like when you see this, don't you want to live this way? Don't, don't you want to live in a world where people live this way? Doesn't this passage stir certain things in you? It does me. A, a couple of weeks ago, we uh, had Bob Hart's funeral. If you didn't get a chance to meet Bob Hart before he passed, he was one of our covenant members. Uh, he was the city manager of, of Corinth, and he was a good friend, and he was a good man. He displayed a lot of integrity. And in fact, uh, Lois was here in the first sermon, and you know, at the, at the funeral, one of the most powerful things for me was all of his kids, his five kids get up there, and they just, they just had the same message for all of us. Our dad was a man of integrity. Everything that you saw on the outside that you guys are praising him about, that's the way he was one-on-one with us. He was the same man at home. Prior to coming to uh, the city of Corinth to be our city manager, he had uh, been the city manager at, a, at another city in the Metroplex in Kennedale. I didn't even know where Kennedale was. I had to look it up. But he'd been there for a long time. And uh, while, when Bob Lowe's were down in Kennedale, he was a member of a church. He became one of the elders um, in the church. And Lois asked that pastor to come, and, and he did the eulogy. Um, I read the obituary, did the graveside. And, and then this man, a you know, real veteran pastor, uh, he did the eulogy, and it, and it was great. It was spot on. It was full of wisdom. I, I loved everything he said. And, and I had this real unique opportunity that day to where in between the funeral and the graveside, we, both the pastors had, had gotten out there uh, early, and they, the family took a little time. And so we, we just had a minute, and uh, the pastor and his wife were sitting in the car in the AC, and they said, hey, come sit in here and talk with us. And, and so we, we just had about 15 minutes, and, and I, anytime I get time with just an, an older, wiser, faithful pastor, man, I'm taking it, okay? And so I just asked them questions and, and heard, you know, of, about their church and their ministry, and one of the things that they shared with me is they had been at their church for 35 years. Isn't that cool? You know, the average stay of a pastor is like four years, 35 years. I, I just, I thought that was amazing. He, he's retiring this summer, next month. And, and, and you know, to, to be that pastor of that church for 35 years, he just displayed a ton of integrity. He and his wife, I, I was in the presence of a pastor and his wife. That, of course, they weren't perfect. Nobody's perfect. But these two just 
lived a remarkable, faithful life for 35 years. Do you want to hear the blessing of, of, uh, of a ministry of integrity for 35 years? You know what this man told me? He said that, you know, you know what's interesting about being there that long? He goes, I am, uh, I am baptizing children whose parents I baptized when they were children. He said, I'm doing baby dedications, holding these little babies. And I did baby dedications for their parents. I'm leading people to the Lord. And, and, and they, you know, I, they were people that I led their parents to the Lord. And I tell you, by God's sovereignty, that pastor's wife was here this morning during Lois's sermon. She walked up and said, hey, you're my sermon illustration today. You know what she told me after the first service? She said, you know, last week I was teaching the preschool class. And every single one of those little kids... I had had their parents in Sunday school. Isn't that amazing? All of those young people in that church, let me tell you what's going to happen. It's going to happen to you. This is what happens to them. They're going to hear some story about some pastor flaming out somewhere, okay? Some pastor stealing money or doing something scandalous. And then they're going to hear comments uh, from friends, friends who are going to say, you know, Christianity is all about just oppression and oppressing the powerful over the weak, the hegemony, they're going to get into all that. And, and then they're going to have people say, you know what, you know what pastors are really about? They're really about power. They're really about money. And, and you know, for those young people at that Kennedale church, I'm going to politely listen, but you know what they're going to think in the back of their mind? Not my pastor. I've watched this couple for 35 years and that didn't mark them. They're going to see someone. They, they, they have had an experience of someone with integrity. And it's going to blow up all the false notions that are thrown at them. When, when they're tempted to run away from God when life gets hard, they're going to come closer to God because of those two people's integrity. Isn't that glorious? Friends, your integrity matters. Fighting those inner battles matters. It matters to the ones you love the most. Fighting those battles matter. The integrity of a man and a woman down in Kennedale will lead them to greater faith in the Lord. Friends, integrity is so good. And even if you're like David and you've blown it in the past, brothers and sisters, remember that Jesus died on the cross so that you can walk in newness of life. Therefore, resolve to walk with integrity. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this passage. Thank you for this moment to just pause and, and do one of those heart checks where are, are we where we need to be? Are we walking with integrity? Where we know what will go on all around us, but may that not be true of us. May we be a people that, that does the, the heart work and the head work of capturing thoughts and battling sinful desires. May we be a people that walk with integrity, that love our family and our friends in the way that we're to love them. May we be a people that is marked not by perfection, but by integrity. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.